suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. Despite the reputation of their homeland, some are remarkably thin-skinned, some seem to have multiple lifespans, a few were once thought to be extinct in the region, others have been observed being sacrificed by their own. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 173 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast, and it is the 8th of November 2018. This is a podcast that looks at news and politics and what's going on in the world. We normally have a panel, and, well, tonight's a normal night. It is a normal night. Yeah, it's a normal night, a normal panel. So joining me as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. And for those of you that are keeping a track... I'm drinking a Mountain Goat Fancy Pants, thanks very much to Woz. And after that, I'll be drinking a Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. Thank you very much, Landon Hardbottom. And ladies and gentlemen, I do have an urgent appeal because this is the second last week of our sponsored beer. (laughs) After next week, me and Paul will be forced to stop in at the (laughs) bottle shop again and buy beer on our way over to Trevor's place. Mm. So... If you want to avoid that happening, mm. all you've got to do is just step up and become a beer sponsor, yep. and you can um, send you can send stuff to uh, I can't remember which bottle shop it is, mm. but anyway, there's a bottle shop around the corner from my place that they can just you can just order it and have it delivered there. Mm. You know, Was and Landon have ruined me because all of this <laughs> fancy craft beer, I, I can't go back to just. <laughs> Ordinary stuff now. Yeah, it's very true. This fancy pants stuff is mm. really good. So mm. thank you very much, Was, and we really appreciate it. Mm. And of course, on the panel, oh, back from a, a minor uh, back ailment, sitting upright, a little bit ginger, but otherwise in good spirits, is uh, Paul the Twelfth Man. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Scott. G'day, listeners. Hope you're all well. Mm. So we're all good. Okay, dear listener, we're going to be talking about a host of different uh, topics, and we've well, just to give you a little bit of an idea, we're going to be talking about um, actually what you can do is you can just look at your app and you'll see the list of topics and you'll see a little time code there telling you when it's on. So if there's something that you think, oh, I don't want to listen to those guys banging on about that, I've heard enough, we can just skip to the next topic. So there you go. That's an option for you. Hopefully you'll tune in and listen to the whole thing. So we're going to kick off with... Uh, Qantas was facing calls to match Virgin's decision to give priority boarding to war veterans and to salute them before takeoff. So Virgin Australia made a decision that they were going to copy the US. And this is a common thing that happens in the US. So, And basically there were then calls for Qantas to follow suit. So the US-style proposal came at the end of a week-long campaign by the coalition which would see veterans get uh, discount cards and lapel pins. And Defence Minister Steve Chobo said it would be terrific if Qantas matched Virgin's pledge, which is part of a News Corp campaign. If that's not enough to set alarm bells ringing. And he said on Sky News, again, more alarm bells, 
Well, you don't have to just read the article. You need to know as to who the players in, in all this, don't you? He said, I think it's tremendous that they come on board and that they honour and salute the service of those men and women who have served our nation in uniform before uh, putting themselves in harm's way. And veterans would be saluted at takeoff and given first access uh, to board the plane. And funnily enough, Australians said, what a load of BS, mm-hmm. thankfully. Mm. Yeah, I, I have the greatest of respect for veterans. I, think I had my cousin's eldest was killed in Afghanistan, well, goodness me, a number of years ago now. And I do have the utmost respect for their service, and I do wish to thank them for their service. However, I also heard in interviews um, of people that were veterans who said outright that they would not be identifying themselves as veterans because they didn't believe that they deserved a first, mm. first, first cab off the rank getting on a plane, and they didn't think they deserved it, and they certainly didn't want to be publicly acknowledged you know it's i suppose it's different in the states where you've got so many people in uniform as they come and they do fly all over the country while they're in uniform so i suppose they're visible so it probably makes it easier for them to do that but i also think there's something peculiar about the american psyche that they do love to hold up their veterans as someone who is special so Steve Chobo totally misread the Australian character. Absolutely, yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah. I mean, I think most... I mean, I agree with everything you said, you said, Scott and Trevor, about, you know, I mean, we all, we all have a very high regard for our, our veterans here in this country, but I don't think most Australian veterans want to be singled out and saluted at every opportunity. They prefer just to blend with the crowd and just be like everybody else. And for goodness sake, some of them are still quite young. How would they feel if there were old women and men being held back from boarding so that they could march on first? They would be embarrassed. Surely the Australian character is that nobody's better than anybody else. That's it. Isn't that what we're about? You know, the tall poppy syndrome gets knocked, but it's got a good element to it in that we don't bow down and kowtow to sort of perceived authority or or idolising certain people. We we try and say, well, you know, it's like the beach in Australia. You go to the beach, you could be a captain of industry or you could be, you know, the garbage collector or you could be anybody. And we're all sitting there on the same beach with the same rights to enjoy it and... Holding other people up as special yeah. is not the Australian way, I would have thought. Exactly. And I can't believe that these people misread this sort of stuff. Yeah, you, you're, you guys are aware that I, I work with um, young adults from various foreign countries and it, it's quite common for them to want to you know, address me in a very formal manner. And I'm, I'm forever saying to them, just call me Paul. That's my name. And they're like... Yeah, but, yeah, but, and I'm like, listen, this is Australia. We value egalitarianism. We like to, we like to treat each other as if we're more or less on the same level, you know, mm. de- deserving the same respect and dignity, no more, no less than each other, you know? Mm. Amazing. Amazing that there was not enough people in a room to say, hold on a minute, this is a really bad idea. I just, I can't believe it. But it, this, is just... the whole, this is the whole point. I mean, um, we have Anzac Day once a year, mm. and that has become 
sort of the Veterans Day in Australia. It's something that I think that those guys are very proud to go and march in and they do like their moment in the sun, but they only want a moment. They don't want to be constantly reminded of the fact that they were at war. And I think that uh, Chobo really misread the Australian people. Mm. And he's looking bloody ridiculous, actually. And, you know, but this has got Rupert Murdoch's fingerprints all over it. It's become from the News Corp and Sky News. It's, mm. you know, they're the ones that are pushing it. So it's got his fingerprints all over it. It just goes to show there are people here who would like to import every bad idea from the disunited states, from saluting veterans to unrestricted gun ownership to Christian nutters running the parliament. So, um, you know, any bad... They don't recognise these bad ideas and they just think, let's import what's going on over there. And that's one of the key things... Well, the aims of this podcast is to look <laughs> at those bad things Hold in America the tide, Trevor. and say, no, no, you're not bringing that in here. <laughs> so, you, you, No, you're dead right. I mean, that is what we're trying to do. Mm. You know. Anyway, next topic, uh, speaking of people misreading the public. <laughs> <laughs> so we had 34 Anglican schools in the greater Sydney area all signed up to a letter to the Education Minister, Dan Tian. First off, does everybody remember Dan Tian's claim to fame? No, couldn't tell you. He's the one who got up in Parliament and talked about um, Africa as a country. Oh, that's it, yes, as a country. As a country, yes. Mr Geography Teacher. That's right. That's our our Education (laughs) Minister, Dan Tian. Let's not let him forget that one. We'll never let him forget Mm. that. So these uh, schools wrote this open letter to him and 34 of them signed it and it was a little bit cryptic in its wording but it basically said all of this talk about the rights of gay students and gay teachers, uh, it's all been blown out of proportion but schools must have the right to protect the ethos of their Christian teaching is what it said. So it didn't come out in plain English saying we must retain the right to sack gay teachers and to refuse gay students. But it's, it, it virtually said the same thing in a roundabout way. So anyway, uh, they wrote the letter and here's the beautiful part. The students, the, uh, the current students and uh, former students of these schools and the parents just got up in arms and started ringing these schools saying, what the hell are you talking about? That's, this is not the school that I attended or I attend or I've sent my kids, my kids to. How dare you do this? This isn't what the school should be about. And a real backlash from the community of these schools. And one student wrote an open letter and I think he's up to 2,500 students have signed it and there's been various other open letters as well. So... Great example of some activism by students in the community and now two of those schools at least have backtracked and said, oh, uh, sorry you read our letter that way, didn't quite mean it that way. Uh, <laughs> God, load of nonsense. Yeah, it was. So it, it made no sense whatsoever. I didn't actually read the letter, but mm. um, I should have done. But mm. it, you can't argue that... You could take the letter in any other uh, in any other context, other than them saying we still want the right to sack sack gay teachers and expel gay students. Yeah, that's all they were asking for, mm. and I don't think they should have that right. 
Exactly. And, a lot and of I don't give a toss what their ethos is. You know, in a secular society like Australia, you've got to obey the law and the law should be stripped to, stripped from it because if they're going to receive any public money at all, then they shouldn't, they shouldn't be allowed to do that. Yeah. Look, on a positive note, um, if, yes. if we're talking about the word ethos, which, you know, is uh, defined as the characteristic spirit of a culture, era or community as manifested in its attitudes and aspirations. Now, there you go. I would like to argue that the, uh, the ethos of those schools is changing and is mm. embodied in the um, sort of more liberal-minded attitudes of the student body and the parents on the whole. Mm. So I think these people who think they're protecting the ethos of the school need to um, uh, you know, have, have a bit more of an interaction with the actual students and parents of the students and find out what the ethos is rather than trying to project some sort of historical or uh, traditional ethos on them. Because, I think, yeah. Sorry, just, just the point of the parents and the students who were, who were opposed to this, I think that probably just shows a wearing down of them and that type of thing where they just thought to themselves, well, we don't believe this nonsense. You know, they might attend an Anglican school, but they don't believe it. You know, I think that probably the majority of parents are atheists it's and the a, kids are probably... It's a reflection, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. a reflection of changing attitudes towards religion and everything it stands for. I would mm. have thought so, yeah. And it shows that the, the leadership is still stuck in the past and the, the student and parent body is moving along. So as often happens, <coughs> it's the people at the top who are Perhaps stuck. Could we run a workshop or something for those <laughs> school principals? I'd just like to also remind the gentle listener that the Sydney Anglican Diocese was a mob that handed over $1 million to the No campaign in yeah. the uh, in the uh, recent plebiscite on gay marriage, but they handed over five grand for um, domestic violence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, in the show notes there's a lot more information, but you get the gist of it. And, and the sort of... The pathetic sort of whining of their apology. Oh, how did you take it that way? You shouldn't have read it that way. Oh, that's not what we meant. Or, you know, it's a shame that it's been interpreted this way. And instead of, you know what, you're right. We've, we wrote that letter and the sentiment was wrong and we shouldn't have said it. But they've sort of tried to make out that everyone's misinterpreting what they're saying and... And they're surprised that people took it that way. And it's it's not an honest apology in no, any sense. No, it's not. Yeah. So, so anyway, there we go. Now, we've previously mentioned about uh, the Christians in Western Australia and the Mormons in particular in Victoria rocking up to Liberal Party meetings and 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 voting so as to create conservative sort of uh, decisions. And the ethos. And ethos, yes, indeed. And there was an article in the Courier Mail where um, a new front in the Liberal Nationals Party civil war has erupted uh, just as Scott Morrison tries to convince Queenslanders his government is acting in their interests. Senior party members have told the Courier Mail they fear a statewide stack of Christian soldiers sparked by long-held grievances over the axing of Tony Abbott and last month's abortion bill. Um, and the, this stack, stacking has begun. 
Members were shocked on Monday when more than 100 members arrived unexpectedly at a Metro West meeting to throw out Chair Lee Warren for a more conservative country party member. Uh, and there's going to be another vote with more hardline sort of things likely to happen. So that's the first article I can remember, Scott, of a concrete example in Queensland of, of, the, uh, of the religious groups starting to vote en masse in yeah. Queensland. Mm. It's, it's coming. Mm. You know, it's here. It, it's here. It's here. It's already started. And, you know, um, I read further that, uh, da, 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 where was it, um, Malcolm Cole, who was the LMP uh, member for the South Side, mm-hmm. he is uh, resigning from his position and he's got the Christians marching on him too. Yeah. So that makes no sense. But so I, I met Malcolm Cole. I think he's a hell of a nice bloke. Mm. We'll have to wait and see. But, uh, you know, it. it <clears throat> there was a line in there somewhere. Have you finished, Trevor, or not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a line here somewhere saying, yeah, another vote will be held tomorrow with many fearing the hardline push in other states is now happening within the LNP with the goal being role President Gary Spence at next year's party convention. I can't work out why the hell they want to roll Spence because... He was the idiot who said to um, the LNP members in state parliament, yeah, you've got a conscience vote, but if you exercise your conscience and vote against the party line on this and vote in favour of legalising abortion, you're not going to get pre-selected. So, you know, I don't know what the hell they want. He wasn't wasn't conservative enough for them. God knows how much more conservative they want to be. Well, this this is the group who who thought that Scott Morrison wasn't conservative enough. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) They wanted Peter Dutton. (laughs) So Scott Morrison was a moderate, you know... Choice as far as they were concerned. You know, so that's where we're that's where we're at with these groups. I have said many times before that they will they will be out on their backsides for a generation if they continue down this path. Mm. You know. Speaking of Scott Morrison, I've got a few clips later on where I'm just going to go to town on this guy because he's, <laughs> he's really, really annoying me. So don't hold back, Trevor. No, there's going to be an he's, extravaganza on Scott Morrison. He's just an average Aussie bloke. Yeah, that's yeah. he's a dickhead, is what he is. Yeah, that's what's, sorry, is that defamatory? That's what's coming up. No, we're okay with that. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. so well, truth is a defence. <laughs> <laughs> In some jurisdictions. Actually, you know, in some well, when I was doing law at that time, truth of itself was not sufficient defence. It also is that right? had to be in the public interest. But there's different laws in different states. I don't know what it is at the moment. But look, if Scott Morrison wants to sue you for calling him a dickhead, then bring it on. I say. Well, y- yeah. y- you'll represent me in court, will you? <laughs> <laughs> You'll be able to do it yourself. Oh, really? Yeah. And think of the ratings boost we'll get. <laughs> Right. Um, as you know, dear listener, we've got an index, the IFVG Secular Index. You can go on there and find out about uh, your federal member of parliament and see if there's anything on there, anything on the public record to indicate, A, what religion they are, and B, how secular or non-secular they are, what decisions or statements they've made that indicate whether they're... Uh, um, you know, holding up secular values, and I came across uh, an article which was in relation to the US elections, and there was a group called 
Free Thought Equality Fund and Centre for Free Thought Equality, and they've produced a spreadsheet of candidates in the midterm elections identifying just their religion anyway, so that you knew whether they were religious or non-religious. So um, so running in the midterms, uh, they found 140 non-religious candidates and uh, not one of them was Republican. <laughs> so, <laughs> so That's interesting in itself, isn't it? Yeah, so you can... So, yeah, so there's, a, there's a link there and you can have a look at their spreadsheet and um, it's just a pretty... Uh, they they rang up and provided questionnaires and did follow up interviews to get get it. So yeah. Any plans for next year's federal election in Australia, Trevor? What do you mean? Secular index. We'll have to update it once the mm. new. Um, I, new I actually point. mentioned it to a colleague at work today. You yeah. know, we were, I don't know why. The but index. We were talking, yeah. Right. And I said, look, there's this good friend of mine is actually. Um, Compiled a secular index for uh, you know regarding the religiosity of our politicians, mm. and she was quite intrigued. I think right. to hear that. Right. So there you go. Maybe it needs a bit more um, publicity. Mm. Did you it's send a good it? Idea. Did you send it to the website? Uh, look, I often send people to this particular podcast. Mm. Yes. Right. Okay. Now uh, we in the past have talked about quotas as being sort of a dangerous thing to have, you know, and really let let the cards fall where they may based on merit. And I was reading this article about a criminal case and there was a jury that was selected, sworn in, and it was for a, uh, a sexual assault case. All 12 members of the jury ended up being men and the... New South Wales District Court Judge Donna Woodburn said, um, nope, I'm going to cancel this before we even start and we need a new jury because I have a feel that there's a perception this could be unfair to have an all-male jury on this sexual assault charge. So what? Uh, it was a trial of a 78-year-old man who was charged with 14 counts of raping and indecently assaulting his partner's granddaughter when she was seven and eight years old. So, pretty ugly case. What do you reckon about that? With, uh, with... I don't know. I, I, am, am I deluded? But I think most Australian males have a very... Um, very negative view of old men who rape young girls. I would have thought they would be just as willing to judge the man guilty on based on the evidence as a female jury. Mm-hmm. But, you know, think? justice must not only be done but must be seen to be done. Yes. So, but that's, isn't that surely uh, casting... Nasturtions on the fifty percent of the Australian population that are male, isn't it? Saying that because they're male, they're less likely to give a fair judgment based on the evidence. That's a little bit dangerous, isn't it? Mm. I, I'm uncomfortable with it, but Scott, you got any thoughts, or you just don't know? I didn't really. I read the whole article, and I couldn't understand. 
I could understand where the judge was coming from, but then you did read down further the president of the New South Wales Bar Association, Arthur Moses SC, said the sex, ethnicity or sexual orientation of a juror would not determine if the defendant got a fair trial. I... Well, I could understand where the judge was coming from. I do think that you have to take into account the... um, you know, he said, you know, Moses went on further to say, however, he said the High Court had made it clear that, that, that what makes a jury representative is that the jurors are selected at random. Mm. Yeah. And not based on any defining characteristics. Exactly. So if in that case that you end up with 12 jurors being selected at random, if they all end up being male, I don't know that there's anything you can do about that. Okay, I'll add a little more fact to the situation and see what you think okay. after that. So, so have you, you guys ever done jury duty? No, no, thank God. No? So, I'd like to do it. Yeah, you should do it. I've uh, had a couple of call-ups but yeah. uh, was undisposed. Yeah, so what will happen is there'll be like 50 of you standing at the back of the court and your name will be called and then you'll walk forward to be sworn in and the uh, the defence and the prosecution have the ability to reject people. So there's objections without cause, uh, sometimes called uh, preemptory challenges, and then there's challenges for cause. So um, so in Queensland, uh, the defence would have eight preemptory challenges, where as you're just walking down to get sworn in, the defence can just say challenge and you turn around on your heel and go. That means you've been rejected. So uh, this one happened in New South Wales. So they apparently only have three. Um, But so it's not nearly as many. But let's just say if this happened in Queensland, presumably if there were no women on the jury, it was because the defence themselves rejected a lot of women along the way. Do you know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. So, and it may well have been the case in the New South Wales one. Certainly the the panel was made up of men and women, and so it looks like both sides were rejecting women uh, in in their challenges. So... So that's interesting. So I think if a judge was watching that and a, and a, def, a prosecution and, and a defence were rejecting women, well, that's just what they decided to do. So you shouldn't fiddle with that, I would have thought. So, But doesn't it also take us down that dangerous path of saying that a fair jury is made up of people who look like they should be there rather than their inherent mm. capacity to process information mm. and, um, and, and give a fair judgment. Mm. And, you know, it takes us down this diversity path, doesn't it? Yes. Where people are selected not because of their character or their abilities but because of what they look like. Mm. It's uh, it's a dangerous road, I think. It is. So uh, anyway, that was an interesting one. I thought. Um, I'm still not exactly certain how I feel about it. Mm. Paul, you sent me a link. Uh, we had that terrible tragedy in the UK of the Granville Tower, which 
which burnt really quickly because of the strange insulation on the outside. It was cladding. Yeah. It was purely decorative Mm. and it was made of plastic, flammable plastic. Mm. So there's a group of guys in the UK, five of them, who who created some sort of effigy of the Grenville Tower and burnt it in yeah. a sort of a mocking, joking sort of way. It I was Guy like... Fawkes Night. Right. Yes. Yeah. So they were having a bit of extra fun yep. by burning, re-burning the Grenville Tower as, along with their bonfire or whatever else they were burning. Mm. What happened to them? They were arrested for offending the sensitivities of the victims and their families. Well, the victims are dead, of course, but Mm. the sensitivities of the families of the victims, families and friends, I should say. And they were were arrested. They were tracked down and arrested for burning an effigy of a building. Oh, actually, no, they, they decorated the effigy with little... Figures representing people in the windows of the burning building, too. Right. Which gives it a bit more graphic detail. But um, it wasn't a real building. It wasn't real people. It was an effigy. <coughs> yeah. When and you it, was make a, it, it was in poor taste, and there are a bunch of scumbags. But, but, it, but it shouldn't be a crime. Should it be worthy of the attention of our legal authorities? No, I don't well, think it was so. the UK, so their legal authorities. But yeah, yes. but, you know, I, I agree with you. It was in poor taste and it was mm-hmm. sick and all that sort of thing. However, it shouldn't be illegal. Yeah. On the other hand, as, as we were departing my place this evening, we saw graphic uh, video of dead baby ducks who some people had uh, seen fit to beat to death for fun. Now, that's to me, that's uh, an offence that deserves some sort of, course. of um, yeah. punishment. There's good evidence that people who um, commit cruelty to animals mm. end up committing terrible uh, crimes against human beings. Yeah. yeah. That needs to be severely punished. Yeah. But burning effigies. No. So that's a worry that uh, just for poor taste, he can be thrown in jail. That's that's The UK is going down a very dark path at the moment in Mm. terms of prosecuting people for thought crimes. Mm -hmm. Speaking of going down a dark path, Pauline Hanson has taken on Mark Latham. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's a dark path or that's something akin to the... House of Horrors at Luna Park. It's just not going to end well, is it? How, you know, is, are they going to make it, is it? Let's. Here's a prediction. He won't last in that party until the election. He'll, it'll have blown up before then. So, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I had to agree with ScoMo where he said uh, he said he's like the Bachelor. He's given his rose to the to the Labor Party, then he was giving it to the LDP, and now he's turned around and giving it to Pauline Hanson. He says yeah. he just never know who he's going to end up going home with. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> but um, points for tenacity. Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever you think of Mark, at, at least he's he's standing up to be counted. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least. Yeah. He's standing out to be counted in entirely the wrong way. You know, it. it I got an old friend that, um, well, he, he's the father of uh, a very good friend of mine, and he lives in Toowoomba, and he was a member of the Liberal Party in the Queensland State Parliament in the Joe days. 
And he said once, and this is uh, when Cheryl Kernow left the Democrat, he said, you know, you do owe your political party something. And he said that he felt that her leaving them was abandoning them. Mm. And I think the same thing applies to uh, Latham. I think he does owe the Labor Party something. Well, oh, no. only, only during the term of his of his election. Well, I don't know. So I think you're entitled to change your mind and join yeah. afterwards because mm. you could say the party's changed. So well, he might yeah. be able to say it's changed, yeah. but I don't think it has. Yeah. What do you owe the LNP, Scott? Mm. I don't know them anything. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. But then you weren't a member of. The I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah. Wasn't ever a parliamentary. Yeah. I was never even a candidate or anything like yeah. that. So. Yeah. Right, I'm about to launch into Scott Morrison. He's just... Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this, guy is, this guy is just a blithering idiot. And, uh, you know, I'd prefer an evil genius <laughs> to this guy. <laughs> like, I, I would pref- I'd prefer, not that he was a genius, but I'd prefer the likes of Tony Abbott to Seriously? this guy. Yes, I just... He is really taking us for being fools. Um, so I'll just quote a bit from this article in Crikey that says, A decade on from the election of Kevin 07, our sixth Prime Minister since John Howard has turned out to be an absolute blithering idiot. Scamo rounds out the series not with the medieval strangeness of Tony Abbott, the exhausting delusions of Malcolm Turnbull or Kevin Rudd, but with plain old-fashioned suburban crapness. So... I've got a few different clips here to play about what he's been up to and uh, you'll get... If any of you out there were thinking this guy has got some... is half decent in any respects, hopefully your minds will be changed. So first off, we've got um, Alan Jones. Now, this is... uh, I can play a few different clips from the ABC. Some are from the Mad as Hell crowd and some from Media Watch. And this is uh, Jones initially talking to Josh Frydenberg and then talking to Morrison. So have a listen to this one. Uh. Anyway, here's Alan trying to dominate a host organism, in this case, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. If you own your home, it will be worth less. If you rent your home, it will cost you more. This is cradle to the grave taxes from the Labor Party. As I said in the Parliament yesterday, Stop, stop, please. Can you just say that again? Just say that again, (laughs) what these changes mean. If you own your home... It's worth less. Yep. And if you're renting... If you rent your home, it's going to cost you more. That's it. Full stop. (laughs) And similarly, here he is all over the PM hippo like a plague of tick birds. I want more dispatchable power in the system yeah. and that's what Al- that's what uh, could you stop using the word dispatchable out there they don't understand well, that real power, okay. real power. Fair power. reliable reliable keeps the lights on all of that yeah reliable, that's what we want to see available. and that's what Andy and I are working on now when Alan tried this with Malcolm Turnbull of course the sea anemone taught the clownfish a thing or two about pecking order Alan I'm not going to take dictation from you oh, bring back Malcolm Turnbull for that alone these guys are just... He's like a puppet master with them, just telling them what to do. So anyway, during that interview, Morrison comes up with a fair dinkum power. And straight after that, in the next series of interviews, this is what he had to say. New fair dinkum power generation. More reliable fair dinkum power. What I call fair dinkum power. More fair dinkum power. Fair dinkum power, as you've heard me call it. 
So once he hits on a sort of a, a sound bite, he likes to repeat it. <laughs> so as an example of him just... Like, this is the, the pathetic PR sort of guy thinking, oh, sound bite, message, stick to it, repeat it, get it in the people's heads and, you know, all will be well. Yeah. This, this is the sort of thinking. So here he is in, a, in another interview. This is the one interview. Um, so it's not a grab bag of different interviews. It's all from the same thing. Chris and Ryan here, they're living the dream on the Central Coast. They are living the dream here on the Central Coast and they're doing it by running their own business here on the Central Coast and they're, they're living the dream by employing 15 other fellow people here from the Central Coast and uh, this is what you know people uh, aspire to here on the Central Coast, to be able to live and work and play and raise a family all here on the Central Coast and uh, businesses succeeding here on the Central Coast is critical to achieving the lifestyle and the goals that people have on the Central Coast for their future. And Lucy has been a champion of jobs here on the Central Coast. <laughs> so where, where were they again? from? Yeah. Where were they from? <laughs> it's, it's pathetic. That, that it really is. It really is, yeah. That is pathetic. But he's, he's trying to paint this picture of, of the... Of, um, the likable dad. Yeah, that's yeah. it. If a little bit sort of wonky, but yeah, the likable dad. So here are some more clips uh, from what he's got to say about a few different things. Um, We've got to get electricity prices down. I met Avril and Colin this morning. Colin served in our Defence Forces and a Defence Force pensioner. Avril's gone back to work to pay for the bills. This is their electricity bill. You can see it's paid, but they're paying too much. I look through your comments and you say, well, how are you going to do it? We're going to get the electricity companies in line. We're going to do it with new laws and new rules, which means they can't rip you off simply by you being a loyal customer. If you stay with them, you shouldn't be penalised for that. We're going to stop the price gouging and have tough penalties for the big electricity companies if they try and do that. And thirdly, we're going to force them to put more fair income, reliable energy, power into the system. Renewables are great but we're also needing the reliable power when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. That's what keeps the lights on. Lower electricity prices, meeting our emissions reductions targets and ensuring the lights stay on. Authorised by S. Morrison. He's stolen a line from the Labor Party, hasn't he? Which line was that? About the big bad electricity companies. Yeah. And we're going to make them do what's right for the common people. Yeah. Like, what happened, what happened to... Free enterprise, Free enterprise yeah. Yeah. Party, but <clears throat> let the market decide. Yeah, this but, is the same party that wants to use your money to build coal fired power stations. Yeah, you know, yeah, well, they're, they're because all, it's fair income. Oh, no, it's all fair income, fair but income it, coal. Yeah. You know, it, you know it, it's absolutely amazing that the ideology of the free market dissipates when it's up against your ideology for coal, mm-hmm. you know, it makes no sense whatsoever that they've got these idiots that are down there saying that the government should build a coal-fired power station. A bit more, just again to show you what sort of picture this guy is trying to paint of himself. G'day. You may have heard of the Canberra bubble. The Canberra bubble is what happens down here, where people get all caught up with all sorts of gossip and rubbish, and that's probably why most of you switch off any time you hear a politician talk. So what's important is we have to stay focused on the stuff that really matters and that is real. And here's two things. One, unemployment is now down to 5%. That's the best it's been in seven years. 
Australians getting jobs because of the policies we've been running to run a strong economy. Two, small business and family businesses are going to be paying less tax because of the laws we passed today, down to 25%. That means they get to keep more of what they earn to invest in their businesses, to invest in their employees, to invest in their communities. We're just getting on with it. He does these pieces to camera which appear on his Twitter feed and stuff where he he's sort of as if he's distracted and you just happen to be in the office and he sort of puts his phone down and swings across in his chair and starts talking to you like, oh, there's a camera there. Oh, I'll, I'll just explain what I'm up to. Like in this sort of folksy sort of, mm. I just want to put my fingers down my throat and just <laughs> throw up. Just relax, Trevor. Yeah. Relax. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, are you guys aware of the shovel at all? Have you read? Yeah, any? I have said that. Yeah. Okay, so the shovel is a little bit like the Batuta Advocate. I think the shovel might have been around before the Batuta Advocate. So they wrote a piece, sort of dealing with all this, and I've decided to read their piece with a little bit of backing music. Um, so I'm just going to play you. Uh, so credit here to the shovel; it's all their work, and I'm just simply uh, reading it out here. So uh, here we go. G'day, Scott Morrison here, your new PM. I'm getting in touch today because I want to tell you something really important. And that's that I'm a regular, everyday, ordinary, average, fair dinkum, dinky die, down to earth, true blue Aussie bloke on 400k a year, just like you. (laughs) In a moment, I'm going to tell you that I'm getting on with the job. But first, a bit about me. My mum calls me Scott but my focus group tested nickname is ScoMo. Do you know any other 50-year-old men who refer to themselves by their nickname? Apparently it's a dead-set normal thing to do. Go Sharks! Right now, I'm travelling around Australia on a big bus talking to regular Aussies. Bus, of course, is the term ordinary Aussie mums and dads use for VIP jets. And my VIP jet is about as fair dinkum Aussie as they come. Not like those VIP jets in the Canberra bubble. As I've been travelling around this great country, a lot of people have come up to me in the street and said, ScoMo, you're just an average Aussie bloke who likes a beer and understands the unique pressures of life in middle-class Australia in 2018. Actually, that may have been the briefing notes I put together for my image management firm. My mistake. But the point I want to make is that I walk in the streets just like you. I had a beer in the street once. I said before that I was going to tell you how I'm getting on with the job. Well, it's simple. I'm travelling around the country, putting in the hard yards, rolling up my sleeves, getting my hands dirty, getting down to business, trucking ahead, head down, bum up, getting on with things, having a crack, and getting on with having a genuine Aussie go at getting the job done. That's how. (laughs) It's not rocket science when you think about it. So next time you see me around, come up and say g'day. I'll be the guy wearing the cap, that 50% of focus group participants said makes me seem more natural and approachable. Hooroo, ScoMo. Well done, Shovel. You nailed it. He did, yeah. Absolutely nailed it. All that rubbish in the previous (coughs) clips that he tried to ram down our throats. Um, And look, if you need an alternative career, Trevor, I think you could be a a PM double. Well, one... 
objections I do have with the shovels were because they didn't mention that he was eating strawberries at every opportunity. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. they missed that out. But, you know, humour, like Sean McCullough from Mad as Hell, um, yeah. do, you, do you normally watch that? Yes. Yeah. He did My favourite really show of the yeah. week. It's, it's comedians who can cut through yeah. and and really ram home the truth of things. So Absolutely. with Trump in the US, it's often Bill Maher and many of the comedians who really get to the nub of the issue quite quickly and simply. And I think Sean McAuliffe on Mad as Hell has done he a has similar an thing. excellent team of writers, doesn't Yes, he? yep. And that sort of satirical look at things. They're is... consistently good. And a couple of weeks back, you probably watched it too, but there was... You know that slightly pudgy guy that does the old admiral, yes, and, yeah. and he he was doing a turn as a uh, as, as as a PM, I think maybe as he was sort of doing a, a general impression of I don't know whether it was ScoMo or Turnbull or I think it was ScoMo, but he did it marvelously. And this mm-hmm. the script writers just like with the shovel, mm. they absolutely nailed it. Mm. It was a beautiful piece of parody, one of the best I've seen in ages. Yeah, yeah. So if if I was ScoMo, that sort of stuff would be really worrying for me. And people make <laughs> fun of you like that, yeah. But he's only got himself to blame. There's an article here um, about, about this sort of painting the everyday man is dangerous. It says the... There is a mystique about office. People need to believe that this office and the people in it are doing something greater than any of us could potentially do. And once you start using informal media like Twitter and less credible outlets for your messages, you begin to undermine the message because the source of the message is not credible. It increases his approachability a bit, but it undermines that competence and credibility. I think that's true. I, think, I do yeah, too. That was um, that was raised this morning on the on the, uh, the 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 signal. I was listening to that. Was I walking the dog? And they did make exactly that point that he could be undermining his PM ship. I suppose you'd call it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And do you suspect that that's part of the <clears throat> the general sort of Pauline Hanson phenomenon? Is that people people say, well, these guys that are in this high office. They're not so much better or so much smarter or so much different to 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 us. Mm. We can do just as good a job. Mm. No? If I was ever Prime Minister, you wouldn't hear from me much. But that way, when you did, you'd know there was something important about to be said. Like you should just That's exactly the right that's exactly right. I think mm. that they do they do put themselves in front of the camera far too often. Yeah. And I do think that they would be better off holding one weekly press conference a week where they stand up in front of them, they stand mm. there for an hour and they say, right, hit me with your questions. But and aren't they operating on the principle that the public has a short memory and that they need to have that face constantly in front of their eyes or they might forget who they are and what they do? Oh, I, 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 think, I think the public just doesn't pay attention anyway until it gets close to election time, so, you know... Squirrel yourself away and work things out and get your henchmen to appear more regularly if you need to. But actual Prime Minister, hold yourself back and make yourself a bit more of a uh, precious commodity. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, last time you were here, Paul, we briefly mentioned the Belfast Cake Shop and how we decided that we were in agreement on that one. Mm -hmm. And... 
I was I hastily agreed with that one. So that was too hastily <laughs> agreed. Okay. <laughs> because that well, one, I don't recall you hastily agreeing. That, to that was one where they uh that there was a message that was pro gay of some sort yeah. that was being put onto the wedding cake. Indeed. And and we talked about that being more of a compelled speech. And uh at the time my impression was like of of icing or something being sort of pumped onto it. But in this particular cake shop, it was one of those ones that I've spoken about as a hypothetical where you really had uh, a lot of options that you could just choose, the type of cake and the colour and the size, and upload this, whatever image you want, upload it onto our system and we'll simply print it out and stick it on the cake. Oh, so it was. And it was one of those. Oh. So that means I'm not so sure I agree with the Belfast Cake Shop Mm. decision because they weren't physically having to write anything, just print out the message that anybody, you know, uploads onto the website for their cake. So Mm. it just wasn't as clear cut then, I felt. Yeah, I tend to agree with you now that it shouldn't that that shouldn't have what was the wording it shouldn't have it shouldn't have been compelled speech yeah. because it wasn't compelled speech it was something you just print out and you shove it on a cake yeah, yeah. Was it wasn't completely automated was it it wasn't completely automated well, well but you'd have to go and go to the print doesn't he have to go to the machine and type in the message no no, no you, you upload, upload it yourself. you upload the oh, image really. and and they simply print it onto like a rice paper mm. that then is just popped on top of the cake. So, mm. uh, you know, and if you're advertising, yeah, send us your image, whatever it is, we'll pop it on top of the cake. I'm starting to lean now to one where in that situation they should have... Mm. There you go. It's always good to know the facts of these things. Indeed. It is, yeah. Mm, yeah. Trump has been in the news. There's this caravan of of potential immigrants making their way up from Honduras, uh, currently in Mexico, heading to the border. And Trump has said, we're the only country in the world where a person comes in and has a baby and the baby is essentially a citizen of the United States with all of those benefits. It's ridiculous and it has to end. So, uh, and a lot of people are in uproar in the United States that he could consider that that's a bad thing. Do you think it's a bad thing? Well, it's uh, the point is what he's arguing for is not that different to perhaps what the Australian situation is now. So what do you reckon happens if a child is born in Australia? Do they well, automatically get citizenship? No, I know for a fact that they don't. Mm. And I think that's quite appropriate, to be honest, because... Um, you know, people, pregnant women fly in and out of the country all the time and, uh, you know, to allocate the all the rights and privileges of citizenship just on the, you know, accidental timing of birth I think is not entirely appropriate. Mm. So the left in America is up in arms on this. but um, So in Australia, if one of the parents has got permanent residence then the child will be a citizen. Yeah. But if, if neither of them has, if they're on some sort of student visa or mm-hmm. tourist visa or something like that, then um, 
then that's all the baby gets. Yeah, yeah. I think they can make some sort of application, but it would be judged on mm. you know the, the the merits of the case, wouldn't it? On the yeah, they're not entitled to it as no, a right. They're not entitled to it as a right, and yeah. I personally don't think they should be. Do you? I was always a bit surprised mm. by that Am- the- American um, provision that allows people born in the country to automatically um, attain citizenship. I always thought that was a little odd. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's in the Constitution. It may well be. And yeah. of the United States, which yeah. classically in days gone by when, you know, you didn't have people flying in. and, and Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's a different age. Yeah. 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 So... Uh, so anyway, uh, midterm elections done and dusted, and the Democrats, Democrats won the House, House of Representatives, but they still don't have control of the Senate. And after all Trump's done, there's still plenty of people vote for him. Yeah, I know, but you've you've got to remember that only thirty percent of the Senate was up for election. Yes, and if you then look at that, you can then, well, it's not um, expected what happened. In the states where it, yeah. which were up, yeah. In the states that were up, they were all Republican-leaning states. So, and did Ted Cruz win or not? He did. He yeah. did win. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. So the House of Reps there, <coughs> all of them go up for election at midterms and at the presidential election. Like they're only there for two years. Is that right? So yes. it's only a two-year term. Yeah. Oh, so okay. all of the House of Reps, uh, the Congress, are get are up for re-election every two years, and the senators every six. Not long. Hmm. It's Two not years long at all. Is very short. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought that they were had a four-year term. No, yeah, I'm surprised. Right. I didn't know that. Right. Uh, last hmm, wasn't last week or the week before. We were talking about consent training for students at the University of Technology, Sydney. Yeah, it was last week. Yeah. Hmm. And I uh, had a message from listener Steve who directed me to a Radiolab podcast series entitled In the Know. So it goes over three podcasts, basically looking at sexual consent and 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 the difficulty many women had in certain situations to say no, even though they didn't want to, and the pressure they felt in situations and the difficulties and... It was enlightening. I don't know that it changed my mind on anything, but it, in the third episode, they started off by saying, "Here's a group who might have solved the problem," and this was with the the, the BDSM, the bondage, and and that sort of yeah. community, where the whole idea is before you even start, you basically go through a list of what you're prepared to do and what you're not prepared to do and very specific consent to different actions. And, and you know, a, a words that you use like green, I'm okay, amber, whatever you're doing, stop it or slow down, and red being stop, I you know, stop. And sort of these sorts of definite communication words being used and, and almost a pre-consent form. Because in these things, people are playing roles where they're, you know, whacking each other with whips and whatever and pretending to... Like this one girl they were interviewing, she liked knife play. So she would have these knives and would be cutting the clothes off the other people. (laughs) And 
of course, both parties were thoroughly enjoying this, but you needed to say, you know, where, where the limits were in terms of this knife play. So they were saying how, well, there we go, here's a community. Uh, if you think that getting full and proper consent is difficult, here's a community who seems to have solved it. But then they were talking to people, even in that community, who struggled because, you know, they were involved in something with somebody who they liked, who was going too far, and if they called red, it meant that that person would probably be banned from the BDSM community that they were part of because they're in this room with all these other people doing crazy stuff at the same time. So even in that situation, consent wasn't uh, uh, easy to, to sort of nail down. So Whatever tricky, happened tricky to, area. The, to the well, S word? Well, surely... Spontaneity. <laughs> Well, but yeah. surely if you just say the word red, that says stop what you're doing. It, and, it does. And, but that shouldn't preclude you from further activity, should it? But, but her problem in this particular case was the girl liked the guy. She didn't like what he was doing. And she knew that if she called red, because there's a room full of people, everybody has to stop. If one person in the room is calling out red, everybody has to stop to make sure that that person is okay. Oh, okay, gotcha. And so if you've had a red called against you, you'll probably be um, banned from that community in future. So she was like, I don't want him doing what he's doing, but I don't want him banned either for for this. And that was the... So anyway, if you've got three hours spare, Radio Lab podcast in the No series. It was interesting, I have to say. Thank you, listener, Steve. Yeah, true, true. I might have a listen to that. Mm, was, yeah. It's it's an area that um, is fraught, really, isn't it? Because you know we you know old things related to human sexuality are a little bit unclear, aren't they? In terms of consent mm. and you know judging what the other person wants or doesn't want. Mm. You, you, can't just, dark. you can't just tick mm. a checklist off when you're. You know, well, with someone, do you? Well, in theory, in these dominatrix-type settings, you do. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's it, worth listening to. I mean, did you want to mention the strange sexual practice that you investigated during the week at all, or not? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> the thing you were talking about when we first got sat down, it almost made me sick. Oh, yeah. that one. Yeah. Oh, do we want, want to go there? Yeah, oh. look. Strange sexual practices, yeah. Look, somebody somebody asked me a question online about sub-incision, as it's referred to. Now, dear listener, yeah. if you don't know what sub-incision is, yeah, just yeah, Google yeah, don't, it. Don't listen to this if you've got kids in the room yeah, and, or if you've got... Squeeze squeezy stomach, yeah, yeah don't. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, go, go on. So, so well, fair warning. Um, it's not pleasant stuff, but it's... Um, as, as I said, I got an inquiry from a chap, and I believe he was in Germany, uh, asking if, and this was on Facebook, but anyway, he was asking, is sub-incision legal in Australia? And I surprised myself at my own ignorance. I didn't even know what it was. Now, I had heard and assumed it, it was all you know, that um, young male Aboriginals undergo ritual circumcision as part of their coming-of-age rituals. And I thought, well, you know, we, you know, 
I don't. I don't think circum- male circumcision is a is a very pleasant or even necessary thing. But you know, worse things happen in the world. And then I googled it, and subincision is not the same as um, the snipping off of bits of the male foreskin. Uh, what they in fact do is, and traditionally, of course, Aborigines used stone knives. Mm. Not nice, sharp metal ones. But anyway, what they did was they would start at the tip of the penis, at the urethra, the the entrance of the urethra, and they would literally slice open the urethra all the way down, sometimes in stages, but eventually all the way down to the scrotum. So the, the, the urethra was completely opened out and of course, eventually it would heal, and the the guy would be left with a penis that emitted urine and semen from the base of the penis, not from the tip of the penis, which I would have thought would make impregnation somewhat uh, tricky. But there you go. Um, but the there are various anthropological theories as to why they did this. One was that it mimicked the kangaroo's bifurcated penis. Now, for the listener who didn't know kangaroos have a bifurcated penis, apparently they do. Me- so, meaning a penis that sort of splits in two, isn't it? Is, is it like, it doesn't like so two much penises. split in two as it spreads out. Right. So the glands of the penis sort of opens out and becomes wider, if you like. And the whole penis, you know, when it's engorged with blood during erection, sort of becomes wider. So there was an interesting line in, in the piece I read that, it, uh, that Aboriginal, traditionally, in Aboriginal culture, they highly value sexual pleasure, which I didn't know before. And why wouldn't they? But mm. there you go. And so was it to emulate the bifurcated kangaroo penis or was it purely to enhance uh, female sexual pleasure or there was another idea was it was that it was to mimic the female vulva by literally splitting the urethra to the base of the penis mm-hmm. um, it was almost like a um, mimicry of the female vulva mm. so it was all very bizarre but Deeply disturbing to me, just the idea of a, a, a young man or a man of any age undergoing that sort of procedure. But apparently that was very common in traditional Aboriginal culture. I don't know if they still do it. For goodness sake, I hope they don't. But. Yeah. It's pretty gruesome. Anyway, so there we go. That's, uh, that's that topic. We're done with that one. <laughs> It's really quite sick. Yeah. Oh, it is to us. Yeah. <laughs> it should be sick to it, anyone. It, well, <laughs> it, it's all about the context of the time, isn't it? And we yes. had some other topics. Uh, so our friend Jimmy visited the Moroccan soup kitchen and he was talking to the proprietor there who's an advocate of Islam and he said something along the lines of, uh, you know... What about Muhammad's behaviour? And I think with Aisha, and her response was, "Well, that was, you know, in the context of the times, it was acceptable behaviour. So you have to just give 
Muhammad a, a sort of a, a, a break a, a break because of the times. So the difficulty with that is, you know, you're writing a holy book which is supposed to be perfect and for eternity and for eternity and not limited to the times. So that's where that sort of argument falls down. Exactly. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and the other, I think, argument, maybe Jimmy made or you made, Scott, or somebody made. I made it anyway. Jimmy said that she was talking about um, the colonial times being the theft of the land. Mm. And I just made the point. I said that it's funny how she can make the argument when it comes to Islam about you've got to have the context of the times but she wasn't prepared to take into account the context of the times when it comes to colonialisation. Mm. And that is a very... A, look, I mean, a, a shitty thing happened 220-odd years ago or 230 years ago when uh, Philip arrived in Botany Bay and he set up the colony. It was a shitty thing that happened to the Aboriginal people, but it happened, and it happened at a time that what was happening around the globe was that was happening all over the world. It was the, you know, if it wasn't the English, it would have been the French, and then they should be thankful for small mercies, quite frankly. Because they would have had better baguettes. Well, they might have had better baguettes, but they, you know, the, the country would have been the country would have been irradiated from you know from the Pilbara and the West right down to, mm. to, to nuclear tests. exactly. Mm. But we might have also had a, a national grid of safe, clean nuclear power stations. <laughs> Anything's possible. But you saw some article about William Dampier that got you. I did, yes. That was an interesting one. Yes, William Dampier is now responsible for um, our negative attitudes towards our Indigenous people. Oh, really? Apparently. Because he said something disparaging about their their, wretched condition when he observed them in the northwest of Australia. Which basically set the tone set for, the tone, for yeah. the West's view of Aboriginal for people. our negative image of Indigenous people. Yeah. It was yeah. all William Dampier's fault. Yeah. So nothing yeah. about what you just said had anything to do with our negative image of them? Yeah. I don't know that he'd seen the... Um, he'd seen the, the split penis, penis, no. no but but uh, there were other things that disturbed him. But in any event, your argument, Paul, would be that, well, he was also a victim of the time and you've got to take it in the context of the time. I wouldn't call him a victim, but, but he was, was certainly a operating player at a of time. The times. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So, good point. When you often hear these stories where uh, we give a free pass, as we would to Aboriginal people with the penis thing, like, well, that's just what they did at the time. That's right. Uh, but that's not to say that they necessarily should hold on to such traditions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is something that's been in my mind a lot in recent years. Is how some people seem to want to defend tradition for tradition's sake. And yet so many human traditions in times past have eventually been found to be um, not worth holding on to and we've abandoned them. Yeah. Yeah. So why not a few more? Mm. The Queensland Human Rights Bill has, has been presented... So we know some of the stuff that's in it. Well, we know what's in it and we can look it up and haven't heard much debate about it. But for those of you who have not listened to this podcast for three years and just... <laughs> just finding us for the first time. Yes. Um, you might find it incredible, but certainly I and I think you, Scott, and I don't know, you too, 12th Amendment, maybe. What's that? Have a problem with the Bill of Rights? Um, 
Yeah. I'm open to persuasion. Open to persuasion. Okay. So, um, so here's my problem with the Bill of Rights, dear listener, is you're giving broad, vague rights to certain groups and you are then giving the power to judges to determine when, where those rights stop because they're in conflict. There's always conflict between rights and who wins out in the end? You're giving the power to judges and uh, that's why you end up with the situation in America where they have these huge arguments over who their judges are going to be, whereas in Australia we don't care because they don't decide uh, a lot of things like that. So it's a dangerous thing. Anyway, Queensland Human Rights Bill. Uh, Everyone has these human rights and... One of here is some of the um, you've got freedom of thought, conscience, religion, and belief, and it says everyone shall have the freedom to demonstrate the person's religion or belief in worship, observance, practice, and teaching, either individually or as part of a community, in public or in private. So it's enshrining the right of people to observe, practice, and teach their. Religion. Once you start doing that, you then have difficulties passing laws to stop them discriminating the sacking of gay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Discriminating against gay teachers. Like you've or, just or made controlling it so much, the lives of their daughters. You've just made it so much harder. Um, cultural rights. It's in section 27 of the bill. All persons with a particular cultural, religious, racial or linguistic background must not be denied the right in community with other persons of that background to enjoy their culture, to declare and practice their religion and to use their language. So again, it's just going to make it really difficult to overturn laws that allow religious discrimination against gay teachers, for example. And uh, uh, let me just see here. Conduct of public entities, um, it's unlawful for a public entity to make a decision in a way that is not compatible with human rights. But it goes on to say that does not apply to a body established for a religious purpose if the act or decision is done or made in accordance with the doctrine of the religion concerned and is necessary to avoid offending the religious sensitivities of the people of the religion. Now, is it, this is why we should not have a Bill of Rights. Yeah, exactly. This is why. Yeah. So the way it seems to me the Bill of Rights works in this Queensland example is there it applies to public bodies. So government organisations and bodies are not allowed to do things which might breach an individual's rights and the Parliament, if it passes a law that is going to breach those rights, must acknowledge in the law that that's what we're doing. Um, it harks back to that case uh, not so long ago of the the Muslim gentleman in uh, Western Sydney who had cleared a block of land without planning approval right and were building some sort of islamic retreat on the place and when confronted they said oh no we're a religious charity we're not subject to australian law yeah so it sort of seems to be have tones of that 
Well, he was just plucking. He was just plucking it right out of thin air. But if he's in Queensland and this bill is produced, he could just rely on this. Well, that's my point. Yeah, if that it came to pass that there was such a bill of rights, yeah. why wouldn't he refer to it? Yeah, and so yeah, so these apply. It seems to government bodies, not to individuals or corporations. But why make life difficult for our for our government bodies to do things when they uh, when people are going to be pulling up rights under this act? To, to stop legitimate uh, laws of our of our government. It's just going to make life difficult, achieve nothing that couldn't be achieved through just a normal law if you think you need to. That's mm. the whole point. Mm. It's just very lazy, I think, on the part of the parliament to have a catch-all piece of legislation. Yeah. But aren't they pandering to this sort of um, social justice sentiment that's, you know a foot in the community, that mm. we need more and more guarantees of our alleged civil rights, you know, whatever they may be. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. But, you know, spells out a bunch of so-called rights and then says, you know, a public body must not do something that would would contravene those rights and then puts in an exemption if there's a religious purpose. I just cannot believe... I can believe it, unfortunately, mm. but... There you go. Right, well, gentlemen, we've had a good go at ScoMo. We've had a good go at religion. We've, <laughs> we've tackled a few thorny judicial issues with abortion law, with juries, with whatnot. Um, who knows what we'll come up with next week, but we'll come up with something. Well, uh, you know, hmm. we have to wait and see, but ScoMo is a... Uh, he is the gift that keeps on giving. So I think we'll have something to deal with again next week from yeah. ScoMo. So. Yeah, for sure. And we've got our little um, excursion to the Freedom for Faith uh, thing, which will be on the Thursday night. Thursday, I, I believe, yeah. Yeah, so the podcast next week might be late. It might be on the Friday because we, uh, we might do it post that excursion. So okay. it might come out a little bit late. We might do it... Friday night? Yeah, well, we might do it after the excursion and sort of our thoughts and things. See what happens. If See what news items come up during the week, and it might be a late podcast next week, dear listener. You're not concerned the listener might be sort of getting a little bit nervous at uh, being denied their regular injection of Iron Fist and Velvet Glove? Just, just uh, no, I'm not nervous. And it gives them more time to become a beer sponsor in the meantime. Exactly. And yeah. that is something I do want to appeal again, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. We are desperately in search of a new beer sponsor. There we go. So, all right. We'll talk to you late next week, probably. Bye for now. Thank you very much. Talk to you next week. Bye now. See ya. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe on their behalf, on their phone, and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you 
go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon. And there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.